right, guys. Welcome back. Let me deal with my technology here for a second. Great. Hey, if you have brought a Bible with you this morning, why don't you open up to Colossians chapter 2. We're going to be continuing the series that we're in right now, which is it's called Cosmic Christ. And we're just walking through the letter of Colossians. We're going to look at a little bit larger of a chunk this morning. begin this morning in verse 8. I'm going to jump right off where we left off last week. And to begin with, we're going to read from verse 8 to verse 15. We're going to look at a few verses after this as well. But we'll just jump right in. Verse 8, Paul says to the church in Colossae, he says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. According to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled with him who is the head of all rule and authority. Those are two verses that are worth underlining, by the way. In him also you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Him. Why don't we just pray here real quick. Father, would you help us? Holy Spirit, we ask that you would illuminate our mind and that you would illuminate our heart. God, we ask that you would deliver us from merely accumulating more Bible knowledge And God, that you would deliver us into the power of your word. Amen. A couple weeks ago, I watched this uh, documentary. Some of you may have seen it. It, I think it was on the Nat Geo channel. I, I don't know for sure, but maybe you saw this. There was this documentary about this guy who got this idea that he wanted to essentially walk and hike the entire Amazon River. Did anybody watch that? Anybody see it? It was insane. This is, this is generally what the guy wanted to do. He said, you know, I want to hike. It's never been done. No one has ever walked or hiked the length of the Amazon. I want to do it. And I'm not just going to hike like the river, river parts. I want to go all the way to the headwaters of the Amazon River. And by the way, the headwaters of the Amazon River are high in the Peruvian Andes. So it's kind of weird. The Amazon flows backwards from what we typically think. It flows from west to east. And it flows right out of the Andes. So to begin this 
journey, he hikes up to the Andes where there is no path. And he has a guy with him. Except this friend. This friend says, you know, I want to come with you. This sounds like a, an adventure I'm in for. And he takes his friend and they, um, they grab a couple Peruvian guides, some guys who sort of know the land, even though no one's really ever done what they're going to do and no one's ever really been where they're going. So they up to the mountains. And they find the headwaters of the Amazon right where the snow melt runs off of the mountain down into the expanding jungles and becomes the Amazon River. And this journey is over 3,000 miles long on foot. When he first begins this journey, he estimates that it's going to take him a year and a half. Figures he'll be out in the jungle and he'll be out in the wild for a year and a half. Uh, In all actuality, he was out there for nearly three years. Nearly three years. Here's basically what happened. So he begins the journey. He's got his friend, a couple guys, and they go to the top of the Andes, and they begin to work their way down into the jungle. And about 800 miles into it, the two friends who are on this journey together, they they no longer become friends. They get really angry with each other. Uh, in fact, the journey begins to expose who they really are to one another. And at a certain point, one of the friends says, I don't like you anymore, and I don't want to be on this trip anymore. Anybody ever taken a car ride with somebody? You thought it was going to be awesome. Six hours into it, you said, I have utterly ruined my weekend. It's basically what happens. About 900 miles out, over the, man, over the mountains, through the Andes, down in the beginnings of the jungle... One friend looks at another because of all the things that this trek has surfaced in him and says, you know what, I don't like you, I don't like this journey, I'm going home, and he leaves. And at this point, the original trekker is with his two guides, and they're in the middle of, they're literally in the middle of nowhere, alone. There is no recourse, they're alone. Most of the time, their satellite phone doesn't work because it can't be triangulated out there. You're alone. And they decide to press on. And while they're pressing on, they're coming into the edge of Columbia and someone warns them and says, hey, where you guys are going, you really need to stop it because you're about to enter into drug cartel territory. And the guy who's on the, on the journey says, I don't care, I'm going. This is the path I'm going. I don't, you know, I, don't, I don't care, I'm going. So they begin to walk into drug cartel territory and they would occasionally encounter a tribe. And before they came into the into the tribe's area, they would ask the tribe, can I pass through? And almost every time the the tribal elders would say yes. But at a certain point, they made a call. And they called from one tribe to the tribe that they knew was out on ahead. And they asked, hey, can we come through? And and the tribesmen said, no, if you come through, we're going to kill you. So now he's got two death threats from the cartel and from the tribe's people who are in the next village up. And the little guys say, hey, we should really stop this. And the guy says, no, we're going through. And I don't know if you've ever noticed this before, but uh, most of what you're afraid of in life never happens. Most, most of what you're afraid of in life never actually ends up happening. And they just began to walk through drug cartel country with no invitation of the tribesmen or the cartel. And in fact, at certain points, they even encounter the cartel. And you know what happens? Nothing. Right on through. And eventually they come out of that territory. And at this point, he's down to essentially just one guide who's with him. And they're in the middle of the Amazon, and there's no one around. People have begun to find out about this man's journey. 
And another guy from England says, you know what, this journey is really compelling. I want to go on this journey. And when, when you see this guy come onto the journey, it's this big, brute, strong, I mean, just an ox of a man. Huge, so strong. And he begins to pick up the journey somewhere around halfway, and he's going to go the rest of the way with the team of travelers. And he sets out. And when he picks up on the journey, they're still in sort of the, the dry season there in the Amazon. And so journeying is hard, but it's not impossible. And they're, they're trekking through, and they're trying to cover as much distance as possible because they know the rainy season's coming, and it'll get a lot more complicated. And they think they can make it to the next major stopping point. Well, the trouble is the jungle was a little thicker than they thought, and they couldn't hack their way th- through quick enough, and they hit the rainy season. And one of the things that happens on the Amazon in the rainy season is, is that the river overflows its banks at certain points 70 and 100 miles wide. There ain't no running away from it. For two months at a time, they were in water waist deep. Sometimes on a good day, it was only knee deep. And the water is filled with piranhas, bacteria, snakes, and alligators. And because the Amazon's brown, you can't see them. Good news. <laughs> it's really terrific. If you've, if you've got a phobia in your life... It's like all phobias in one. Well, this big, strong guy who comes on the journey, he's out with them for about a month, and they're walking through ankle, knee, thigh, waist-deep water for the better part of a month. And he's so strong. This guy's physically fit. But something begins to happen to him, and his feet begin to rot. You've heard of jungle rot, right? Well, his feet begin to rot on this journey. All of his toenails fall off. Uh, He gets some sort of a blood infection in his feet and pus is running out of the end of his feet and he can't do anything about it. And eventually he has to cut the journey short and he has to basically medevac out of there. He's gone. So now we're down two and it's just the one original trekker with his guide. And they keep pressing on. And and as they press on, uh, good news, uh, the original trek guy who's on this journey uh, realizes that he's got some larva living underneath the skin in his head that these little flies have laid eggs in his head and his, and his companion has to get his knife out and cut his scalp open and fish the worms out of his head. Uh, even better than that, he begins to realize, I've got worms and I've got something in my blood and I have no strength. And there's, you're out in the middle of nowhere. You're at, literally in the middle of nowhere. They somehow make it to the next village and when they make it to the next village, wouldn't you know it, they happen to have a little medical facility there with the drugs, the exact drug that he needs. Trouble is, there's no one there to administer the drug. So dude just puts a band on his arm and begins to stick his own veins with needles to administer the drugs. A couple days later, he sort of comes out of the delirium and he starts walking again. Walks for another four months after that, and they eventually come into the delta of the Amazon there in Brazil, out where it meets the ocean. Took him almost three years. Rotten feet, larva in the head, things floating in your blood that are not blood platelets, disagreements with trekkers and travelers. And just general hardship, sleeping in the rain, you know? I mean, 
Like sleeping, in, that was a good day. The day we slept in the rain, that was the good day, you know? Well, the reason I tell this story is because if you get a chance, you ought to watch it. There's, there's just a lot of stuff in there. It's, it's sort of a message from the Spirit, if you have ears to hear it. Especially to everyone who's a believer in Jesus. Uh, one of the things, we talked a little bit about this last week. One of the things that most of us don't realize as believers in Jesus is, it's that the journey in Jesus is really long. We thought it was going to be like a year and a half. Turns out it's like more than three years. And we thought it was going to be like maybe a hundred miles. And turns out it's like thousands of miles. And one of the things that we didn't encounter and we didn't realize when we first said yes and began to put trust in him is that there's going to be all kinds of roadblocks and obstacles and it wasn't going to be easy. In fact, a lot of times it's going to be really hard. Some of us thought that believing in Jesus was going to be like hopping in the Concord and just flying across the world in three hours. When in fact, it's more like climbing to the top of the Andes and walking through the jungles you see amazing things but it's it's actually a little more difficult than we thought and paul here if we can put the scripture back up paul here is outlining for us yeah those are that works as well paul here is outlining for us in verse eight he's outlining for us some of the some of the some of the obstacles that we run into and there's two kinds of obstacles that we're going to see here but the first set of obstacles is in verse eight And he says, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy, empty deceit, according to human tradition, the elemental spirits of the world. Three things, all sort of one thing. Philosophy, human tradition, elemental spirits of the world. I think it's interesting. I think it's interesting here that Paul says, see to it or watch out, depending on your translation. Watch out that no one takes you captive. The reason I think this is interesting is because Paul's talking to believers, right? See to it that no one takes you captive, believers. And some of us in the room are like, wait, time out. Hey, I used to be a captive, but now I believe in Jesus. I'm not a captive. I'm free, right? Well, Paul's outlining something for us that's really, really important. Yes, if you've put trust in Jesus, you have moved out of captivity into a new kind of freedom. But make no mistake, the journey is a lot longer than you thought. And there's some obstacles around. And it's actually possible for you to become captive again. Now, I know some of us in the room are really smart people, and you think, now, is he talking about once saved, always saved? Is he talking about like you believe in Jesus and then you eventually, you, you just go to hell? Well, no. Why don't we just put aside ultimate questions here for a minute? The question at hand that actually works much better is this. Who would want to be captive for even one day? Even one day. Who, after being free, would want to be captive even one day, let alone all of eternity? So Paul's writing to believers. It's possible to become, fat, to become captive. The journey with Jesus is fraught with danger. It's possible to experience the freedom of Jesus and get taken captive. And what Paul has in view here isn't what we normally think about when we think about becoming captive. Normally when Christians think about becoming captive, we think of three things. Sex, drugs, and rock and roll, right? Yeah, you've got to watch out for the sex because like, you're done. You got to watch out for the drugs, you know. The next thing you know, you're on cocaine and you're just freewheeling, man. Or you got to watch out for rock and roll. Whatever you do in life, don't put the leather pants on. Those are all pretty obvious. Most of us in the room shouldn't wear the leather pants. Not that it stops certain people. But Paul has something in view here that's much more subtle and something much more common to believers. 
And it's the possibility of being taken captive to philosophy, human tradition, and the basic principles of life. And this is just one side of what we're going to see Paul address. He's going to address two sides here. See, it's possible to receive Jesus and his rule only to be taken captive by stuff that sounds like the kingdom, sounds like it's compatible with the kingdom. The ideas that Paul is calling into question here are essentially the prevailing winds of culture. You can actually be taken captive by the prevailing winds of cultural worldviews. And that's what Paul's saying when he says philosophy, human tradition, elemental spirits of the world. It's possible that you could be taken captive by just the way things are going, the way that people think in the world. Some of us read the word philosophy here and we begin to take a deep breath. We're like, man, I'm out of, you know, I'm totally cool here because I hated philosophy. Like, I never took it in college. And by the way, I didn't even want to. Uh, one time I had to read a paper by Descartes in high school. I hated it. Totally clear here. No, Paul is not really thinking so much of Descartes or Pascal. He's actually has something much more subtle. It's, it's, it's the prevailing winds of culture. It's possible to grab hold of the freedom of Jesus only to become captive again by that handcuffs of cultural worldviews. Uh, specifically, let's just talk about some philosophies. Let's just take it out of the realm of Descartes or Pascal, and let's talk about some cultural philosophies that, that are really prevalent right now. Uh, well, one of the main philosophies that's really prevalent and can ruin your life are the political philosophies that just blow around all over everywhere. Like you can't turn the news on without being inundated with right wing this or left wing that. And one of the things that left wing and right wing people want to do is attach the kingdom of God to it and say that it's God sanctioned when in fact the kingdom of heaven is neither right wing nor left wing. It brings a sword to both. It's the truth. Like, you can be taken captive by it. You can, you can be taken captive by thoughts like, um, you know, what people need to do is they just need to, you just need to go to work. You just need to, what you need to do is we don't need government. We don't need government telling us what to do. And, and not only do we not need government telling us what to do, but when government tells us what to do, it's actually, it's, it's infringing on my rights as a Christian. You'll, you'll hear this kind of thinking. And I love when people talk about their rights as a Christian. I'm thinking, time out. You're talking about the, the, the thing that was started by the guy who laid down his life and said, I don't have any rights. I'd just like to lay them down. You're talking about those rights? It's incompatible thinking. So there's a philosophy in the world, and a lot of it's political. The closer the church gets to the politic, the church, closer the church gets to Washington, the more watered down and diluted, the, the, more, the more she divorces herself from her actual call in the world. Know that. Know that right now. See, one of the things that begins to happen is, is not only do we begin to take on right-wing or left-wing political ideas, but we begin to trust them. And that's what we're going to see here. We begin to trust them. We begin to trust them in a way that is only reserved for Jesus. When you begin to trust in your right-wing ideology in a way that allows you to not have to trust in the work and the person of Jesus, you're done. It's also the same with the American dream. This is also a philosophy that's just, that's out there. It's the American dream. What is the American dream? It's this idea that what I really need in life is I need a spouse and we need a house. And after we get a house, we need a bigger house. And then after we get a bigger house, what we need is a bigger house after that. And then after we get a bigger house, we get a bigger house with a three-car garage. And then after we get that house, we get the bigger house with a four-car garage. And then we put brick on the house and it's really pretty and it's really safe. And I don't see anyone. 
See, that's one of the bill of goods that's being sold here to us. Every single day in America, every time you turn on the TV, there's a bill of goods. We're being advertised. Buy into the American dream. Give yourself a house. After you get yourself a house, get a bigger one. Make sure it's brick. Don't get a siding house. Get a brick house, something solid. Two or three car garage. Put a boat in that house. Get yourself a wife and a few kids. Settle down and don't see anyone. Separate yourself from any possibility of risk whatsoever. Live your life in such a way that you only collect and gather inward and you never give any outward. Right? Have you ever noticed that to the degree that you buy into the American dream is the degree to which you stop seeing other people? It happens every single time. The people who are most successful in the American dream are the ones who are least accessible to the hurt and to the downcast, to the poor, and the very people that Jesus spent his own time with. You begin to just separate people out. Start climbing the corporate ladder only to find that you have leaned it against the very wrong wall. Or the uniquely American idea that more is more and bigger is bigger. More is more and bigger is better. This idea is profoundly alive in the church. More is more and bigger is better. How many times have you heard a pastor get up and say, hey, we got a, we got a building campaign going on. You know what? You know what stinks? What stinks is our little church. What we need is a big church. And we need big Big. Why? Because God's only doing big things. Maybe. However, the scripture is full of the Lord doing small things. Eight pound, eight ounce baby Jesus. The mustard seed, the smallest one in the garden. So much of the kingdom of heaven is actually small, hidden, insignificant, and unseeable, almost unknowable. And we don't want anything to do with that. We want the big stuff, right? Hey, once you give to the big building thing, because God's into the big thing, and then what ends up happening? Well, the church ends up taking on a debt they were never asked to take on by the Lord, and then everybody in the church has to serve a building payment rather than their community. But it's cool because we've got a giant building that's awesome, right? Yeah, and you end up divorcing yourself from the simple cause of the kingdom. Other times we begin to tune into the traditions of men, even good traditions. It's possible to become deaf to the still small voice of the Spirit if all we're listening to is human tradition. Things your granny used to say, right? Yeah, stuff your granny used to say. Even some good stuff your granny used to say. But some of the stuff that your granny used to say is terrible. How many of you have heard this? God helps those who help themselves. Time out. Time out. Can we just take a time out right there? I can't tell you how many times I've heard God helps those who help themselves. And people will speak that to you as though it's in the Bible. It is nowhere in the Bible. In fact, it's antithetical to everything that's in the Bible. God helps people who can't help themselves, who didn't want to help themselves, and who are in fact actually mad at God for most of their lives. That's the gospel. But if you can take on human ideas, you can grab hold of stuff that was taught around your granny's table and end up walking straight out of the kingdom of heaven. You can become captives to things that your dad said or things that your mom did, things that your grandpa or your grandma told you. A worldview. Worldviews that sound good. It's subtle. It isn't drug, sex, and rock and roll. It's, it's God helps those who help themselves get up and get on with it. When in fact, the gospel is that God came to earth when no one wanted him and no one knew they needed him.
It's amazing. So on the one hand, we can become cultural captives. And on the other hand, we can become religious captives. I want you to look at two verses in your Bible. I want you to look at verse 11 and I want you to look at verse 16. We'll look at verse 11 first. Let's go to 11 first. There you go. In him you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. All of a sudden, Paul, he's beginning here talking about philosophy, deceit, human tradition, elemental spirits of the world. And then he says, circumcision stuff. And it's sort of like, what are you talking about here? What are you, what are you even getting at? Well, let's look a little further down in verse 16. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in the questions of food and drink or with, guard, or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Jesus. So on the one hand, we can become cultural captives, but on the other hand, we can become religious captives. Paul begins to talk about circumcision and he begins to say things like, don't let people pass judgment on you with regards to food and drink and festivals and new moons and yada, yada pointing out some religious stuff here. Well, here's essentially what was going on in the church in Colossae. It's probably similar to some of the things that were happening in Galatia. You all remember Paul's letter to the Galatians. Here's something that happened in the early church a lot. So the gospel would be preached, maybe by Paul, maybe by Peter, maybe by Timothy, maybe by Epaphras. Who knows? But these guys would go out. They'd preach the gospel. People would begin to put trust in Jesus. Their lives would begin to change. And then some other people, the super spiritual people. Always, always, always be nervous when you get around a super spiritual Christian. The super spiritual people would come in and say, hey, you know what? You got freedom in Jesus, but you can't really be a good Christian unless you're circumcised. And you guys are all like Gentiles and you've never been circumcised, but you really can't be a good Christian unless you're first a good Jew. So what we need is we need all of you guys who have never been circumcised to come over to my house. I've got the knives sharp. And we're going to have a get-together. And then after that, what we need you to do is we need you to begin to, we need you to, begin to orient your lives around the Jewish calendar. It would be great if you would show up at Passover. It would be great if you take the lamb into your house. You know? you know, good, I'm glad you got the lamb who was slain, who took away the sins of the world, but we really need you to get the little lamb, the actual lamb. We need you to bring it to the house, be friends with it, cut its throat, show the kids. We need you to do that. Uh, we, that is what happened. You bring it in your house, you become friends with it, and then you slit its throat and everyone cries. We need you to do that. And uh, we need you to, we need you to, you know, take the Sabbath off. Like, don't do anything on the Sabbath. We need you to do this stuff. And Paul's pointing out here that it's actually possible to not only be taken captive by the cultural winds, but it's also possible to be taken captive by religious observance that will steal the freedom of Jesus right from you. And by the way, it'll steal the freedom of Jesus right from you the whole time you're doing things that look good. And make sense. See, here we see another impulse in the human heart that's in me, it's in you, that leads to captivity. And it's the impulse to fortify our trust in Jesus with religious activity. Things like, you better not eat pork, verse 16. That was one of the things that was going around then. You better not eat pork. Now, you think this is crazy. You think this is, it's totally crazy, right? Don't eat the pig, you'll lose it. Uh, and this, it sort of like blows our own minds here. We're separated by a couple thousand years. Don't think there's any Jews in the room. We don't really get this sort of thing. This is the God's honest truth. 
things like don't eat pork. Heather and I were in a meeting once. It was a great meeting. And a man got up and gave a word. And while he's giving the word, gave a really amazing word, in, I mean, really preached an amazing sermon. And by the way, this is a man who loves Jesus, was really famous. If I told you his name, everyone in here would know him. Really, really famous NFL football player. Gets up in the meeting and he tells some people, tells the whole room. He says, some of y'all are losing your healing because you're eating pork. You think, this is crazy. People don't do that. People, we, we would never do this verse 16. Yeah, you would. Yeah, we would. It's totally possible. People will come in and say, you know what you need is you need a little bit, you need a little bit of this. Fortify your trust in Jesus with, with dietary restrictions. You can't really love God and, and have any, you know, a pulled pork sandwich. Don't do that. You can't really love God. And, that's pretty benign. Maybe you've heard this. You better keep the Sabbath. Anybody ever told you that? Anybody ever tried to make you feel guilty with that? You better keep the Sabbath. Anybody here ever, ever had a uh, Jehovah's Witness tell you you better keep the real Sabbath? It's not even just you better keep the Sabbath, but then there's some other dudes who come over and say, you better keep the real Sabbath. What is this? This is all extraneous, extraneous mumbo-jumbo tacked onto the front to try to fortify our trust in Jesus. Or how about this? You better pray for forgiveness every night before you go to sleep. You better review every sin that you committed that day and you better confess it to God. That was sort of a big one when I was growing up. Did anyone else ever hear that? Like, like, listen, hell is under your bed. The fire, the very fires of hell are beneath your bed. They will, they will catch your, your mattress straight on fire. You will burn up in your sleep. No one will remember you. Or how about this? You better fast. You better fast. You better. Like you better, you better break it out. Anybody in the room ever been made to feel guilty by the fasting people because you weren't fasting? Don't you? It's amazing, isn't it? You better fast. You better fast. The fasting people come over to your house. You cook dinner. Yeah. Then they begin to, you know, I, I don't know about that. Or you better give. Like really. Or you better not drink alcohol. You put one beer to your lips. All of hell goes down your mouth. It's true. People believe this stuff. People begin to orient their lives based on what they do or what they don't do. Whatever you do, call your mom, any name in the book, just don't drink a beer. One Bud Light, the very fires of hell, down your belly. You'll never get it out. You're burning from the inside. God remembers you no more. Or how about this? Ladies, you better not wear makeup. You better, you better not wear makeup and your skirt better be like below the ankle or whatever. I think that's, I think that's gotten somewhat relaxed. Like, we're okay with your calves, but we, we don't want to see your knees. You better not, like for real. Don't wear makeup, calf below the knee. Not calf below the knees. That is how it actually works. Skirt below the knees. 
Or how about this? You've probably been told this too. You, you better not go to R-rated movies. You better not go to R-rated movies. Christian would never go to R-rated movies. Ever. There's nothing good there. We just begin to draw the lines and we begin to, we begin to fortify trust in Jesus with these things we do. Oh, Christian would never go to an R-rated movie. Really? I think Christians ought to make some R-rated movies. Just going to put it out there. Might build some bridges. Or how about this? You better read the Bible. And if you don't, you better feel guilty about it. All of this is verse 16, mumbo-jumbo. People passing judgment on you in questions of food and drink, festivals, new moon, Sabbath. These are just shadows of things to come, but the substance belongs to Jesus. Why would you orient your life around the shadows? Who wants to get blinded in the shadows when you can lay hold of Jesus? And how do you lay hold of Jesus? It's really easy. You don't have to do anything. You just begin to believe that he has already laid hold of you. I want to read verses 9 and 10 again. Can we put that back up? This is amazing. For everyone who has placed their trust in Jesus, verse 9 and 10 is a reality. For in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. In Jesus, all of the Godhead. Jesus is God. And then look at what Paul says. And you have been filled with him who is the head of all rule and authority. If you've been filled with him who is the head of all rule and authority, what are you going to get by orienting your life based upon what you do or what you don't do? What more is there to get? The answer is nothing. Some people in the room are very uncomfortable right now. I always love preaching this message because we always find out who the hand-wringing religionists are. Some people are really uncomfortable. They're thinking, Adam doesn't believe in prayer and he doesn't believe in Bible and he thinks that Christians ought to go to R-rated movies and he thinks that we ought to just do whatever we want and we ought to just drink beer and hate our moms. Right? No, I didn't say any of that. I just said that if you put your trust in doing something or not doing something other than trusting Jesus, you're shipwrecked. If you think God is happy with you because you avoided an R-rated movie, you're shipwrecked. If you think God is happy with you because you never drank a beer, you're shipwrecked. Have a beer. If you think God is happy with you because you fasted 47 days in a row, you're shipwrecked. God is happy with you because you're you. God is happy with you because Christ lives in you. God is happy with you because you said yes rather than saying no. God is happy with you. He's just happy with you. That's just it. John, in his gospel, said, Behold the Lamb who has taken away the sins of the world. Not some people, all the sins. Think of the most evil people. Did you know that Hitler had his sins forgiven? He just didn't lay hold of it. It's, it's terrible. And if on his last day, God would have welcomed him. And some people in the room are like, that's crazy. I don't know about that. I'm telling you, you better hope on that because you and I are not that much different. It's got the same poison on the inside. It really isn't what you and I have done or haven't done. It is who have we said yes to? What are we orienting our lives around? Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Just trust Jesus. He'll fill you with the fullness of God. You can't fast your way. You can't pray or fast your way into the fullness of God. You need to know that. 
You can't religious duty your way into the fullness of God. You can't avoid R-rated movies into the fullness of God. You can't draw circles and lines and boundaries into the fullness of God. You can simply believe that Jesus has done something in the earth forever and always, ever and always. That's all you can do. And it's simple trust. It's simple trust. You just keep saying yes. You keep saying yes. People will come and they will try to draw the line around your life to get you to do something or not do something and put trust in what you've done or haven't done. And you need to be the person who knows that it's really just about saying yes. Saying yes to Jesus. Filled with Jesus. There's nothing more effective, nothing more complete, nothing more all-encompassing, nothing wiser, nothing smarter, nothing better than Jesus. It's the inside out. See, here's the problem with the rules. When we put our confidence in the rules, it's as though we get our sense of acceptance from what we do. And that's that's the deception. If we get our sense of righteousness from what we don't do, that's deception. The rules and basic human philosophies do not contain the life of God. Do not contain the life of God. It's entirely possible to read your Bible every single day for the rest of, the, of your life, and you could. And you, it is possible to read the Bible and miss the life of God. Jesus showed up, and the people who hated Him the most were the people who read it the most. It's possible... The life of God is contained in one place, and it's in Jesus. You get a hold of that by simply trusting Him. That's it. Look at what verse 13 says. It says, And you who were dead in your trespasses, trespasses meaning the places where you cross the boundary. And by the way, that's everybody in the room. You who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him. Meaning that the life is with Jesus. That's the only place the life is at. You can have a philosophy on this. You can have a philosophy on that. But the life is in Jesus. Uh, you, can, you can be into this or you can be into that. But know this, the life is in Jesus. You might be doing this and you might be doing that. But the thing you really need to know is that the life is in Jesus. You will never receive the life of God apart from Jesus. Ever, 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 ever. He's where the life is at. He's where the life is at. And everything in the world wants to steal that simple fact from you. Some people are looking some people are looking to garner favor with God. Some people are looking to be an effective member of society. Some people are looking to be this or that and we begin to sow into the prevailing winds of culture or hand-wringing religious ideas, hoping that we'll grab hold of it. You can't. You can only grab it in Jesus. It's a yes to Jesus. You see, sometimes it's easier to feel morally superior about keeping the Sabbath than it is to believe that Jesus is, in fact, my Sabbath. Go ahead and mow your yard. Sometimes it's easier to believe that my acceptance is based on the fact that I haven't looked at pornography in the last six months rather than believe that God still loved me even when I did. Let that go all the way down. Sometimes it's easier to trust in Bible reading than trusting the God of the Bible. Sometimes it's easier to trust in prayer as a program rather than actually listening to Jesus. And sometimes it's easier to hope that eating this or not eating that will make us acceptable to God rather than believing that we're already welcomed by God. Sometimes it's easier to not drink alcohol than it is to enjoy two beers and go to bed in the love of God. 
The reason it's hard to get our brains around the fact that trusting Jesus fills us with Him who is the head of all rule and authority is this. It seems so weak. The difficulty in really laying hold of this is, is caught up in this fact because it feels like just trusting Jesus, it feels too small. We're so connected to our sin and we experience it in a way that no one else in the world experiences it. And we know what goes on the inside of our heads and we, that becomes powerfully magnified through our conscious and in our hearts. And we think, wow, who I am in a negative way is so big. And we, ha- we struggle to believe that simply trusting Jesus is the solution to all of that because it feels so small. I would like to posit that trusting in Jesus is, in fact, one manifestation of the little tiny mustard seed that gets planted in the garden and eventually works its way and becomes the biggest tree so that even birds can sit in it. It seems weak. If you'll stay with it, look out. It'll grow. It'll touch your whole life. Jesus said in another place, he said, he said, the kingdom of heaven is like a little bit of yeast that gets placed inside the dough. And that bit of yeast raises the whole, the whole lump. It's a resurrection passage. He's raising us up. Little bit of trust. Little bit of trust goes a long way. It offends our brains. It offends our brains because grace offends every human system. It does. Grace is offensive to every human system, philosophical and religious. In every other system in the world, output is related to input. And one of the things that we've come to know is that if you want great output, it takes great input. But in the kingdom of heaven, tiny input. Enormous, eternal, life-changing, forever output. We need to disconnect that. On the one hand, we hope that culture can give us the answers and make us acceptable to God. And on the other, we look for more and more religious ways to please God. If I can only pray more, read more, serve more. All the while, God has made us alive. Verse 13, connection to Him, trust in Him. See, life comes from being connected to Jesus. There's no life apart from Him. God has made us alive by forgiving all of our trespasses every place where we overstep the boundaries. I want to show you one more thing and then we'll be done. Verse verse 13 and 14. Actually, 14 and 15. I'm sorry. It says that in verse 13 that Christ has forgiven all of our trespasses, verse 14, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. I don't know if you're aware of this, But before you trusted in Jesus, there is a record of debt that stood against you with legal demands. Jesus has grabbed it. He set it aside and he nailed it to the cross. All your sin, every trespass, every single one, every one that you have done, every one that you will do, everything, everything is solved in the Savior. Everything. And then verse 15, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. So the two main problems that people have in the world have been completely and totally dealt with. The first problem that you have is you have a sin problem, and I have a sin problem, completely dealt with in Jesus. And the second problem that you and I have is Satan. He has disarmed the rulers and authorities. Completely, completely, completely. Therefore, you and I, the truth is, you and I have been set free from our two biggest problems. Sin 
and the devil. Which brings us to the third biggest problem. Actually believing that the first two problems are dealt with. That's the third, that's, that is the biggest problem that's left facing you. The biggest problem in your life isn't your sin. And the biggest problem left in your life is not the, is not the pursuing hounds of hell. The biggest problem in your life is believing that Jesus has actually done something about number one and number two. He has actually dealt with it. He has actually dealt with it. And because of that, the spiritual life, here's what the spiritual life is. The spiritual life is believing Jesus over and over and over and over and over. And every single time someone wants to redefine it, we, get, we go back to believing Jesus. We go back to believing Jesus. Every single time someone wants to root the boundaries around us again and make us captive. Every single time that we want to, uh, that we feel tempted to let guilt come into our life and make us feel unworthy. We just begin to believe and trust Jesus. We begin to believe and trust Jesus. What's the spiritual life? It's to believe and trust Jesus that he has in fact cut all of that stuff completely off of us forever, forever, forever. In the kingdom of heaven, everyone is invited to the party. Everyone. Not everyone goes, but everyone's invited. I think I've got a clip for you. You guys remember the movie, The Mission? I want to set this up for you. Might be one of Robert De Niro's best films ever. De Niro is a slave trader. Goes into South America, captures native Indians and hauls them off. In the process, he ends up meeting some Jesuit brothers, changes his life. And at a certain point, he has killed his brother, and he is, as an act of penance, is carrying around this heavy sack, and it's filled with armor, and it's the very armor he used when he would go in warlike and capture people in the village. We can play it. You'll get the point.
instruments that we have used to oppress people Jesus has cut off of us the very bags that we have carried around our entire lives uh, the things that we think we need to drag around as penance have been completely and totally removed completely and totally removed the thing that you think is really holding you down has been completely and totally removed in the son of God John Wimber used to say that the way in is the way on. He's the founder of the vineyard, by the way. John Wimber used to say the way in is the way on. Meaning that the very things that got you into the kingdom are the things that keep you going in the kingdom. Simple things like believing that Jesus has, in fact, cut your heavy bags off. That's not a one-time transaction with Jesus. It's, it's over and over and over we begin to believe over and over and over we believe that Jesus has in fact removed every single bag, every single weight, every single, every single entangling net. He has in fact removed them all. And it takes faith to do that. It takes faith at the beginning, but in fact it sometimes takes more faith later. You just begin to believe it. You, you believe it. You believe it. Sometimes you, like maybe you had an anger issue and you started trusting Jesus and he came into your life and a couple of years later you still got an anger issue and you just, you just, you know. That is not who I really am. Who I am is hidden in Christ. I'm seated in heavenly places with Him. He has, in fact, already cut my anger issue off. Whether I know it or not, whether, whether I'm able to access that or not, I be, I'm believing that He's cut it off of me. You begin to deal at that level. That's what the spiritual life is. That's what the spiritual life is. And so it's possible, church, for us to be taken captive by the, the, winds, and, uh, the winds of culture, to be... To be entrapped by this philosophy or this human tradition. But it's also maybe more tempting for us to become entrapped by our own religious penance to want to climb up every waterfall with everything we've ever done hanging off of us. And God comes to us and He removes us. The spiritual life is letting Him remove it and believing every single day that it's really gone. Can't get it back. Can't get it back. Amen? Amen. Amen. If you're on the ministry team this morning, why don't you come on up? Thank you. Also this morning, um, there, may, there may be actually a person or two who has, has, never, has never begun to believe that Jesus has in fact dealt with their root issues. 
Maybe you've never put trust in Jesus, even for that first time. Maybe you've never, maybe you've never, maybe you've never given your heart to the Lamb who takes away the sins of the world. And and you might need to do that this morning. If you've if you've never put your trust in Jesus and you need to, like you feel the weight of the Spirit on you, you you feel Him near you, uh, and you want to make that kind of a step this morning, why don't you just stand up right where you're at? We want to we want to welcome you in. There might be somebody here. Probably is in a room this size. There's probably someone here who's never ever said yes to Jesus. Didn't realize that the kingdom had come around you, and you just need to acknowledge that the kingdom is around you. Is there anyone here? I know it can be awkward to stand up in front of people, but I think it's sort of a big deal. Okay, then. I'm not going to manipulate. Why don't everyone stand up? And I want to pray for you. When I'm finished praying, if you need prayer for anything, we've got a team here. If you're sick in your body or you just need somebody to stand with you in Jesus... We want to pray for you. Also, this is Prophetic Sunday, meaning that if you would like to receive prophetic ministry, there is a little kiosk at the back. If you will sign your name up there, there will be a team of people who will pray and ask for God's good words over you. Um, some of you might be thinking, what is prophecy? Well, prophecy is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14.3. It's speaking to another person, edification, exhortation, and comfort. It's speaking the good words of the Father. So no one's going to call you out. They're just going to speak good things over you. And if you've never experienced that, highly recommend it. You need to. You just need to. Awesome. Hey, why don't you put your hand on your heart? Let's just pray for a second. Let's invite the Spirit into the room. Holy Spirit, we know you're here. God, we ask that you would open up our eyes. And Father, we ask that you would, that you would give us confidence in the work of Jesus. God, for every person here who has placed confidence in things other than Jesus, even after they once placed confidence in Jesus, God, for everyone here who has equated political philosophy with the kingdom of heaven, God, for everyone in the room who has bought into the American dream and allowed that to color their own kingdom mind, God, for everyone here who has just done the math of bigger is better, and God, especially for people here who have been trying to please you with Um, with religious hoop jumping. God, for people who have been trying to get a sense of approval from you by doing good things, by avoiding this or doing that, not going there, not talking to them, God, we ask that you would deliver us from that foolishness and that you would give us confidence in the Son of God. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would awaken confidence in the Son of God. Confidence in the Son of God. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, if you need ministry, come right up here. If you want to sign up for prophetic ministry, right back there. Otherwise, give somebody a high five and a hug. That's right. All over the room. Go in peace.